0: My name is Roy Biancolana, I am your host, and today we are continuing a three-part series that we are doing on the Enneagram, which is the best personal growth tool and personality system in the world today. Hands down, nothing even comes close, and so I'm really excited if you're into this and you're you know, listening to all the parts of this series because it can truly change your life when you begin to understand your personality type and the personality types of people around you. It can just, uh, well, it can give you a quantum leap in your your life and your love life. And that reminds me to just kind of set the stage here very briefly. If there is a chance that someone is listening to this podcast alone and has not listened to the previous two, I want to encourage you to stop Um, because you kind of won't know what's going on if you just start right here with this podcast. So podcast number 66 was the fifth part of a series I did called quantum questions for life and love. We were addressing questions that I think can create a quantum leap in the way we live our lives and experience our relationships. And the final in, the final question in that series was, the way I put it was, how is your personality type or your Enneagram personality type sabotaging your love life? And in that podcast, I laid the foundation and told you all about what the Enneagram is and how it fits into the spiritual journey and why it's important and so forth. So it's important that you get the framework, okay? And so that one ended the quantum question series. And then I've jumped immediately into a three part series going deeper into the Enneagram. So we're kind of tying the two series together. And so the last podcast, number 67, I dealt with the anger types on the Enneagram. Now you remember the Enneagram has got nine personality types and I'm dealing with all of them in three sets of three. So one podcast for three Enneagram types, this podcast will deal with three, and then the next one will wrap it up with the last three. And the first three that I dealt with were Enneagram types eight, nine, and one, otherwise known as the challenger, the peacemaker, and the reformer. And they, if you remember, were anger types. They have a particular relationship to anger. Okay, now today we are dealing with what's called the shame types of the Enneagram. Enneagram types number two, three, and four, better known as the helper, the achiever, and the individualist. These three types have an inner deep motivation and feeling of shame that sort of animates or energizes or gives rise to the personality type. These three types share a view deep down that something's wrong with me, that there's that that message of shame. Not that I did something wrong, but there's fundamentally something wrong on the deepest level. Now, each of these three types respond to the shame and try to overcome the shame or disprove the shame or compensate for the shame in different ways. The type two tries to compensate that feeling of not being good enough by being helpful. Type three tries to deal with that feeling of shame or not being good enough by being an achiever. Type four tries to deal with that feeling of shame and not being good enough by being an individualist, by being different, by sort of being unique or special in a way. Okay. So that just sets the framework for our discussion of those three types. Now I want to try to spend about 10 minutes, and you can hold me accountable to this, (laughs) I'm going to try to spend around 10 minutes on each of these three types. And again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, my purpose here is three or four things I want to do. First, I want to describe these three types with enough detail so that you can maybe get an idea of, ooh, is that my personality type? So I want to describe it and go into it a little bit so that you can see if it is your type or maybe rule it out, maybe even to discover if someone close to you in your life is this particular type, okay? So the first purpose is, can I help you identify if this is your type? Then I want to talk about if this is your type, how how it is, not it might, it is sabotaging your love life and basically causing All the drama in your life. (laughs) That's one of the understandings of the Enneagram is the Enneagram is mapping the ego. And the ego is basically what's responsible for all of your suffering, all of your difficulties in relationship or otherwise. And so that's why I say you really could make your entire spiritual path be about Focusing on your Enneagram type, and you would do just fine. It is that important. It is that it's got that kind of breadth to it. Like, all you need to work on if you want to evolve and grow as a person is work on your Enneagram type. And so, I want to let you know how it's tripping you up in relationship because once you know how it's sabotaging you, well, then quite easy to stop doing that, <laughs> okay? Like if the type eight, if the major way they sabotage themselves is by being controlling and domineering and everything has to be their way and their right and everybody else is wrong and they have to be in control and they power up over people, well, once you know that that's effing up your love life, well, then it makes it fairly easy to stop doing that or at least know That's what I need to work on if I want a partner to be, you know, to be in a relationship with me and to want to stay in a relationship with me. Okay. So that's the beauty of the Enneagram is it points out your blind spots. It points out how you're sabotaging yourself and then offers a path of growth so that you, you stop being controlled by your personality type. You, you stop, As I said, you stop being in the trance of your type where your type is just running your life and sabotaging you. You can transcend all of that to the point where, okay, I still have that personality type. It it doesn't ever change, but now I'm in control of it. So if I'm a type eight, there might be a time where using my strength and my power And my passion would come in handy in a situation. But since I'm in control of of my bullying tendencies, I'm choosing when to be a bully, when it might be appropriate. Maybe it's appropriate to be a bully to protect the weak and the powerless and to stand for justice. That can be kind of a good use of your power. But if you're in control of all of that, then you can say, well, maybe in my intimate relationship or with my friends or at work, maybe being a bully is not going to serve me or them or anyone. And so I can choose how I express my personality type because I'm so intimately acquainted with it that I have the ability to make that choice. Does that make sense? So I want to help you identify your type. I want to help you see how it's sabotaging your love life. And then I want to point briefly to here's the work that you need to do, right? And, and that way you get a real picture of kind of what your journey can be about as an evolving person, all right? So with that, let's just jump right in. Now, you remember... When we did eight, nine, and one, I started with nine as the central anger type, right? The nine just disowns anger completely, wishes it doesn't even exist, doesn't want to admit they feel it, doesn't want to experience from anyone else or anywhere. They hate conflict. They hate confrontation. They just want to you know, be comfortable and kind of put their head in the sand and avoid all of that, and I don't want to make waves, and... It's the central anger type. And then the eight was overly identified with anger, kind of loves a fight. And the one is is sort of underly developed with anger. They have it, but they bury it and they repress it and they try to hide it. Um, so I'm going to do the same thing with the two, three, and four. I'm going to start with the central shame type, which is the three, okay, with the achiever. Now, here are some words... That if you're a type 3, they're going to resonate with you. Like, oh, these words really describe me. The type 3, the achiever, is success-oriented, pragmatic, adaptable, driven, and image-conscious. Okay, if you're a 3, all five of those, you'll say, check, 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 check. Now, as you know, I'm, this is my ego type guy. And I mean, those five words could not be a better description of the way my mind works when it's left on its own. It sees the world through the success and the pragmatism comes from, you know, it's, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about what works because I want to be successful and to be successful. You need to adapt to various environments driven the workaholism the effort the work ethic is a part of success and then i want everyone to think i'm successful even maybe if i'm not so i want to control my image so sometimes i joke that the type 3 is like the quintessential politician okay <laughs> right the politician you know it, this may reveal my um my, uh, I'm not real fond of politicians in general, maybe because I see myself in them. That's probably why. But the quintessential politician wants your vote and they'll sort of do anything to get it. If they're talking to a group, you know, that is uh, wanting lots of gun control, they will sound as if they're in favor of, of gun control because they need your vote. But they may do a rally later on in the afternoon for an NRA crowd and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're all pro-gun because I I need their vote too. So the flip-flopper politician is most likely a three. They, They just want to adapt their image to whatever the environment is to get to be like, to be successful, to achieve in that regard. So in a sense, type threes are very chameleon-like. They change the color of their skin to adapt to an environment to be successful, okay? Now, being adaptive can be a wonderful quality, correct? Right? Being rigid and unflexible is not necessarily good all the time. But you can just see that I can give some examples on being adaptable can be very egoic, very much Self-centered. I just want to control what you think of me. I want to make you like me. Okay. So here is a paragraph um, that you might find yourself saying. In in fact, this this is maybe the way you might describe yourself if you're a three. This will resonate with you. My primary orientation is toward task, goals, and getting things done. I am highly motivated and driven to succeed, self-assured, competent, and efficient. I am fast-paced, have a lot of energy, and have a hard time slowing down even when I have time off from work. Success is very important to me, and I have a strong aversion to failure. It is also important to me to be perceived as successful by others. I am good at reading people and knowing how to adapt myself to engage them or get them to like me. I am diplomatic and don't particularly like delivering bad news or giving negative feedback. I am highly competitive. I choose activities in which I can excel and I put a lot of effort into being the best I can be. I am not very emotional and can put emotions aside in order to get the job done. I am very efficient and can get upset when there are obstacles to getting things done such as indecision or delays. I am generally a positive person and often find myself in a leadership role. Okay? So how does that sound to you? Does that resonate with you? Let me go on. Driving your personality type, if you are a three, is the worldview that to gain approval, you need to be successful, work hard to be the best, and maintain a positive image. Your sense of value is tied to what you do and to your accomplishments rather than who you are as a human being. As a type three, your underlying motivation is to achieve success in the eyes of others through your accomplishments. You are driven, have an abundant energy for getting things done and have a hard time slowing down. You are very competitive and strive to be the best you can be in all that you do. You are good at managing your image and failure is very hard for you. Because of this underlying belief, Your focus of attention naturally goes to task, goals, getting things done efficiently and how to be successful. Okay? So there was some repetitiveness in that. But I think you get the feel for the type three. Now, how does this sabotage you in relationship? (laughs) Well, at the most basic level, Because relationships are not that important to a three. Success is. Unless you want to be successful and be the best in relationship. (laughs) But, which is certainly my case if you read my books. But for the most part, type threes have trouble in relationships because they don't put the energy into them. It's not where they derive their sense of self. It's not where they find value. They find value in the task, in the job, in succeeding at something, at work. So threes are often workaholics. They're often very focused on work and what they're doing. And so they're not very present in relationship. They don't. Really think it's that it's not that important to them, and so you can imagine the difficulty they would have. Now, type threes find themselves in relationships because normally they're charming, they they have an, a likable personality because they're wanting to be liked, so they've developed pretty good people skills. They're diplomatic. They're usually good communicators, and so. They're sort of attractive people. I don't mean that necessarily physically. They're, there's a kind of charisma to many threes, and people are sort of drawn to them. Okay, Tiger Woods is a type three. But if you know anything about Tiger, you know his love life has always been a disaster, but he's been the best in the world at what he does. Michael Jordan is a type three. He's the best in the world at what he does, but his love life is a disaster, okay? Always has been, right? So I have been very successful as a three. I'm I'm not anywhere near those guys' levels, okay? But if you read my books, my love life has been a disaster because my attention was mostly on being successful at what I do, okay? So if you're a type three That's the main way that you sabotage yourself is you have all of your attention on your work and relationships uh, just sort of wither on the vine. But in addition to that, there was that one line I read about how type threes are so committed to being successful that they've become good at ignoring emotions because emotions can just get in the way of me getting shit done, of me achieving what I want to do right? There's that old phrase uh, in the movie, uh, a league of their own. It was with Tom Hanks and Madonna. Uh, I think Rosie O'Donnell was in that movie. If I'm not mistaken. And Tom Hanks at one point, he's, he's coaching a girl's baseball team. Okay. And, and something happens and he chews out one of the players for a bad play. They made and She starts crying and he just yells out. There's no crying in baseball. Okay. That's a quintessential type three statement. You know, no emotion here. We have to stick to the job. We have to get the job done. The emotions will will muck up the works here. They will distract me from my purpose and what I want to achieve. And so threes are normally not very in touch with their emotions. So that makes it awfully difficult for them in relationship too, because emotions are sort of the touch point. They're the contact point in a relationship, <laughs> You follow me? So threes are sort of cut off from their emotions or they just don't want to feel them, don't want to deal with them, don't want to bother with them. And they're also sort of workaholics. And you're going to end up having all kinds of relationship trouble unless you, you deal with those, those types of things. So the type three has to work on knowing who they are apart from what they do. See, the type three, they get their sense of self. Their whole identity is wrapped up in what they do. So sometimes the threes are called human doers instead of human beings. Do you follow me? So the work of the type three is to put what they do in a proper context and begin to understand who they are and find value in who they are apart from what they do and whether or not it's successful. Because I can tell you as a three, the worst feeling in the world is failure. Like legitimate failure at something I'm doing or failure in someone's eyes, right? Failing to make a good impression, you might say. Failing to control my image. That, that is a very challenging thing for a type three. So I've always had to just my ongoing work is do I know who I am? Do I value who I am apart from what I do and how successful it is or not? And, you know, am I achieving something or not? Can I find value just as being a person? Okay? And then I've also had to do a lot of work around emotions, becoming more comfortable with them, taking them seriously, valuing my emotions. Because, When I see emotions just get in the way of what I want or becoming successful, I project that onto other people. And it's very easy for me to dismiss emotions in other people and to try to convince them to see emotions the way I do. You should just ignore that and just, oh, that's not a big deal. Just, you know, what do you want to do? Can you get focused? (laughs) Okay. So, so you can see that type threes need to work on their emotional intelligence and on recognizing beingness over and above and beyond doing this, okay? So that is the type three, and it's all motivated by by that inner shame. I'm not good enough, and so I want to be seen. I want to make an impression. I want people to like me. I want to be successful. I want to achieve. I want the applause and the approval of others to counteract that deep fear of being invisible or not good enough. Okay, That's what's really driving. Again, we've been saying how the personality type is the shell. It's the outward side. It is a defense mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. And it's in response to the underlying fear. So I'm afraid I'm not good enough, which makes me very workaholic and driven to prove that I damn well am good enough and I want everyone to see that I'm good enough. So I've got this inner competitiveness to prove to the world that how I feel about me isn't true. And of course, I assume people feel that way about me. I project that. I don't feel like I'm good enough, and I project it and think other people don't think I'm good enough either. And so then I want to win. I want to defeat you. I want. I see everyone as an opponent. Type threes see people as opponents, and they want to win. They want to dominate. They they want to achieve. They want to be successful to prove that they are good enough. Okay, very powerful. Um, so that's type three. Now let's go. Over to the type two. The type two is also um, motivated by this shame, but it's more of a of, of the shame comes out more as instead of I'm not good enough as like the type three, it's I'm not lovable at, for the type two. If you're a type two, you've got this underlying feeling and you might not even be aware of it, but it's running your life. That you're unlovable, and because you feel unlovable, you form this personality type to get love, to be lovable. Do you see the? Do you see the nature of the enneagram? It's showing you how your personality is built to counteract an underlying fear or a, a core story of deficiency. So when you feel unlovable. You're going to become this persona. You're going to take on this personality of I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be so generous and so helpful that you have to see how lovable I am. You have to see how valuable I am. You have to see how kind I am and generous and warm-hearted and I really am lovable okay so a 3 is walking through life basically saying see i am good enough and a 2 is walking through life saying see i really am lovable okay so if you are a type 2 it's called the helper sometimes the giver um here are some words that would resonate with you caring interpersonal, generous, people-pleasing, possessive, okay? Those are five words. If you're a type two, man, those will nail you. Does it make sense? You're the helper, so you're very caring and you're very interpersonal. Type twos are very relationally oriented, right? They are not task-driven like the type three. They are not work-driven. Driven deep down. It's about love. It's about connection. It's about interpersonal dynamics and they're generous and you can understand why they would fall into people pleasing. Would you not? Doesn't that make some sense? Right. Um, and the possessiveness is because I, I, I don't feel lovable. I, I, I can become codependent. I can become possessive. I can deal maybe with jealousy. I can, there's a kind of an insecurity that shows up in relationship and I need to maintain and hold on and control our, my relationships because through these relationship dynamics is how I'm trying to prove to myself that I am lovable. Okay. So type twos can, can, can be possessive in that way. Now, here is um, here is how you might describe yourself from a first person perspective. My primary focus of attention is on other people and relational connection. I am very sensitive to the needs of others, particularly people who are important to me. I enjoy the feeling of being helpful to others and get a sense of value from giving to others. I am tuned into emotional connection and particularly sensitive to criticism or rejection. I am not very good at knowing what I need or asking others to meet my needs. Because of this, I have a pattern of creating relationships that are out of balance, where I am giving more than I get in return. If the relationship gets too out of balance or I am not appreciated enough for all that I have done, I often end the relationship. I have a lot of energy and I'm very good at getting things done, although I exhaust myself by giving too much to others and need time alone to recharge. I am very friendly, positive, and engaging and in conversation, I tend to ask a lot of questions and give compliments rather than talking about myself. Hmm. How's that sound to you? Right? So type twos, if this is your type, your world view is that to gain love and approval, you need to give to others, be needed by them and not have needs of your own known. Your sense of value comes from helping others and giving of yourself. And so as an under uh, as a type two, your underlying motivation is to be helpful, supportive of other, other people you care about. You pay close attention and are good at sensing what other people need. And your natural tendency is to want to please them by meeting their needs. You like the feeling of being needed and get reactive when you lose connection or don't receive the appreciation you deserve. Because of this underlying belief, your focus of attention, as we said, naturally goes to the needs of others, the wants of others, especially people that are important to you. Okay? So is this you? So how does this sabotage you? Well, one of the major ways is because you feel unlovable, you are going far beyond what might be necessary in trying to help others, give to others, be caretaking. You know, um, you can function like a nurse in a sense. Like I want to, I want to help you. You, you, you have problems, and so that phrase that I read is you can very much get in relationships that are out of balance, right? There can be a kind of a codependency where, you know, I often joke that this type often, since you kind of function like a nurse, that means you will attract people who are, you know, needing to be taken care of. I often use the, a persona name like Florence Nightingale for type twos and Florence Nightingale was a, a wartime nurse if i'm not mistaken and she just kept attracting wounded soldiers okay so if you feel like you keep attracting damsels in distress or wounded soldiers um and you get in relationships where you're 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 doing all the giving and no one's giving back you get in those out of balance type things that's what happens for type twos. And that's how it sabotages you. You you end up creating relationships where you're over-functioning. And because you're over-functioning, you attract people who are under-functioning. I mean, a person who is under-functioning needs someone to take care of them, to help them. So when you're a helper, you attract People that need help. Do you follow me? Now, the reason you do it is because when they need your help, you feel like, well, that's how I'm going to get love. If I wasn't helpful and if I wasn't so giving and so, quote, selfless, nobody would love me. I'm fundamentally unlovable, so I have to be this way in order to get people to love me which is why you get so upset when you're not appreciated for what you do. Because the deal here is, I will help you if you need me. If you make me feel lovable by appreciating me, by depending on me. And so here's what type twos end up doing. They end up helping people, but they don't set them free from the help they're giving because the type two doesn't want to help a person sort of get back on their feet because if they're really back on their feet, they won't need me anymore. And if they don't need me, then I don't feel love. So type twos have a subtle way of, I want to help you, but I want to keep possession of you. I I, I want to control you. There's a manipulation underneath all the helpfulness of a type two because you need them to keep needing you. So, one of the little there's a little cliche, right? That someone says, if someone's hungry, you could give them a fish. But that will only feed them for a day. They'll become hungry tomorrow. If you really want to help someone, you teach them how to fish. But if you teach them how to fish, they won't need you to help them anymore. But see, that's not how – for a two, that's too scary. I'm just going to give you a fish. I'm going to give you a fish so that tomorrow you need me more. You keep needing me. You keep wanting to come back, right? Because then I I get the feel that I'm loved, I'm wanted, I'm needed, right? So I'm I'm not creating independence in others. I'm creating codependence. You need me rather than when the two becomes very healthy – they don't want to give a person a fish for a day. They want to teach them how to fish and, and truly help them get established, get on their feet, make changes, make you know have insights, make choices to get their life in order from the perspective, yes, I don't want you to need me anymore because I'm working on my own unlovableness and I don't need it from you. So I don't need to keep you tied into me. I don't need to be possessive. I would love to set you free. Okay, So can you see the way they would get in trouble in relationship? As a a helper, you're going to attract people that need help. You get in relationships that are out of balance and you're over-functioning and you create under-functioning partners and under-functioning people all around you. Type twos will normally report that they've got... Like a circle of people that are just having trouble, that are falling apart, that are in bad relationships and they need to talk to me. They're in difficult places. They might need my financial support or my emotional support. Uh, You know what I'm saying? That they're surrounded by people who need help. And it's all okay if all those people keep giving appreciation and love and then you feel needed, but you're in this loop where they're staying stuck, but you feel needed and it's just not healthy. Okay? So the type two really has to work on their core feeling of being unlovable. As long as you think you're unlovable, then you will continue to be a type two because the type two is your strategy for getting love. But once you know that you are lovable just for who you are, not for the help that you provide, then you don't need to be helpful in the same way. Yes, you're going to still be a generous, warm-hearted, caring person, but you will be able to discern the difference between, am I just giving you a fish and somehow keeping you caught in a cycle here, or am I teaching you how to fish so that you can get unstuck and you know, fix your life and sort of move on. So we don't keep having the same conversation over and over again. Do you follow me? So I've, I've often used this illustration of a boxing match. And even if you don't know boxing, you probably know that a professional boxer has at least two people in his corner He's got his trainer the person who gets him in, in shape for the fight and helps him with strategy in the in the fight in the ring but then he's also got somebody in his corner called the cut man okay the cut man's only job is that in between rounds when the fighter comes back to the corner his face is all beaten up and bloody and cut from the fight the cut man's job is to patch up the cuts to stop the bleeding to kind of patch up his face so that the fighter can go back into the ring and get the shit kicked out of him again. Okay? So the the cut man is an enabler. Type twos are enablers. Get that? You're only giving temporary relief to the people you're helping because you don't want to give them real, permanent relief because then they wouldn't need you anymore. See, if somehow that cut man could patch up a fighter's face to the point where it would never bleed again, well, then he'd be out of a job, wouldn't he? Or if the fighter said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going back in there to get the shit beat out of me. I'm done. Well, then the cut man would be out of a job. <laughs> so the cut man is sort of invested in in the whole goofy process of you're all beat up, oh, you come to me, I'll make you feel better, oh, your marriage is so difficult, oh, your husband's an asshole, oh, your wife is just this bad, oh, you know, and you patch them up and you console them and you encourage them so that they can go back into the lifestyle that's beating the shit out of them. Because then next week, they're going to come back to you and they still need you. And oh, you're such a good friend. And oh, I love you so much. What would I do without you? Do you follow me? That's the type two. The work you need to do is get out of that loop by not needing people's love. And by beginning to ask for your needs. See, type twos are notorious for being prideful in the sense that you people are the one that need help. I don't. So type twos rarely ask people to meet their needs, to, to give to them, to take care of them. They have a, a kind of an underlying arrogance. No, I don't have those needs. I'm fine. I'm not needy. None of that. But you are. You need me. I don't need you. But then when they don't get appreciated, they feel all triggered Oh, well, you don't appreciate all the things I do for you and I'm going to end this relationship and so forth. So type twos need to learn how to make their needs known. They need to learn how to help people in a conscious way and not do them more harm than good. By the way, I've done a whole podcast that would speak to this. I forget what number it is right off the top of my head, but if you go to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast page, you can scroll down and you'll find a podcast that talks about, uh, I think it's um, conscious compassion, how to help rather than harm the people around you. Because type twos, as helpful as they are, they're sort of harming the people around them because they're only giving them temporary relief. They're not really challenging them to do something like the cut man is not looking at the fighter saying, listen, I'm not going to keep patching up your face so you can go back in there and get the hell beat out of you. Get out of the ring or I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to conspire in your suffering. I'm not going to enable this. I'm not going to rescue you and be your savior and be your helper. If you're committed to hurting yourself, I'm out. But if you want to, If you want to get out of this pattern of pain and suffering and difficulty, then I'm willing to help you, to legitimately help you to make changes so that you don't need to get your face patched up anymore. Do you follow me? Okay, so that is the helper, the type two. Now, let's go over to the type four, the individualist. And again, they also have this theme of shame. Something's wrong with me. And in response to that, they sort of want to be special. They sort of want to stand out. They want to be unique. Type fours often sound different than other people. Their their voice intonation sounds different. Um, by the way, type two examples, Mother Teresa. Okay, <laughs> right? So... Or or any codependent, (laughs) it's probably a two. Uh, Well, that's not really fair. Um, We can all be codependent in our different ways. But the type four is this person who wants to be unique and wants to sort of be special to sort of counteract that feeling of being flawed in some way, that something's wrong with them. So the quintessential type four is Johnny Depp, right? He looks different. He sounds different. He's got that voice. Right? He's he sounds dramatic. He sounds emotional. He looks different. He was great looking, but he, he he he's the only guy that could play um the guy in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's such a type four character, right? So unique, so different, so Kind of operates by a, by, uh, you know, beats to a different kind of drum, you could say. Okay. Another type four is Aaron Rodgers, if you follow football. Aaron Rodgers, because type fours, man, they love drama. They end up in lots of drama with people. Look at Johnny Depp. Okay. Um, Heck, Amber Heard might have been a type four, too. I don't, I, I don't feel her as accurately as I feel Johnny Depp. But Aaron Rodgers just loves drama. He's got drama with his family, lots of broken relationships there. He's always creating drama, you know, with the Green Bay Packers and his contracts and he's holding out and, you know, the things he's been saying, everything from COVID to he, he just loves drama. Okay, so one of the nicknames for the type four, of course, is the individualist, but sometimes people call them the drama king or drama queens because they are the most emotionally intense of all the Enneagram types. By far and away, they are the most emotionally intense. And so here are some words, if you are a type four, here are some words that would describe you. Sensitive, withdrawn, dramatic, creative, self-absorbed, temperamental. Okay, type fours have a melancholy to them. They can be cheery and fun and so forth, but underlying there's this melancholy. Because one of the things that type fours, one part of their worldview is, is that they they look they 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 deal with envy. They look around and they say why does everybody else have what i want and why can't i have it too? So they're they're an envious type. Right? They notice what's missing. They notice what's lacking and more than that they notice other people have it. And so you can see how that would lead to a kind of melancholy, kind of a a victimy like why me? how come you guys are have all this stuff and i don't and you can hear the drama in that right? you can hear the sensitivity in that. you can feel why they might be a bit withdrawn because of that because they have this story that they there something's missing within them and they're not experiencing life the way other people do and there's a kind of an envy there. Does that make sense? So Here is the way you might describe yourself if you're a type four. I am creative, emotional, romantic, sensitive, and authentic, and have a very fertile imagination. I experience intense feelings and big swings of emotion, often feeling a sense of melancholy or sadness. Deep and meaningful connections are important to me and I am sensitive to other people's feelings. I sometimes romanticize how a relationship or circumstance could be better than it is. Because of this, I often feel like there is something missing or lacking in my life and I experience a longing for something better. This can lead to internal suffering or drama in my life, but it also helps me to have a great capacity to empathize with other people's suffering. It is also important for me to be unique, different, or special. I don't want to be considered to be ordinary. Okay? Does that resonate with you? So if so, driving your personality is the worldview that something is missing. And to experience connection and wholeness, you need to search for the ideal circumstance or relationship to fill the void. What you have in the here and now is not enough. This may feel like a sense of abandonment or like you have a fundamental flaw simply or simply that something is missing. As a type four, your underlying motivation is to search endlessly for the ideal through your imagination, creative expression, or connection with another. You also seek to be unique, special, or different, and avoid being ordinary. Many type fours are drawn to drama and intensity and feel that there is a depth and richness to melancholy and sadness. Because of this underlying belief, your focus of attention naturally goes to what is positive or attractive about the future or the past and what is missing in your present circumstance relationship or within yourself. Your habitual pattern of thinking also include comparing yourself to others, devaluing yourself, looking for ways to be unique or special, and looking for what is deeply meaningful and authentic. Your blind spots are all that is of value Your blind spots are all that is of value in your present circumstances, and ordinariness and your idealization of what you don't have. That's your blind spot. Your blind spots are all that is a value that you currently have. You don't notice what's here now because you're so in the idealized version of what the past could have been and what the future might be. So does that sound like, like you? If so, you, the reason this will sabotage you is because you 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 are so overwhelmed in your mal- melancholy and your feeling that something is missing you will create drama because you will put pressure on other people to fill the void to heal that sense of that you're missing something or lacking something and because you have this idealized version of relationship Nobody will ever live up to it. And you will constantly be sort of upset at your partners for not being the person that you have them to be in your head. (laughs) You have this vision of how they're supposed to be, how the romanticized version of life and love. And then your partner is supposed to fulfill that imagination that you have. And of course, life partners make lousy life sources. And so when they aren't fulfilling that now you're upset at them. And so you have this emotional response, you're you're an emotional mess at times and you create drama because you think something is missing and in this conversation you're looking for the relationship to f- to fill that void. And then when you find out your partner is kind of human and doesn't live up to your imaginary, it's like you have an imaginary boyfriend or girlfriend in your head. You know, when you were kids, you had imaginary friends, right? The type four has kind of this imagination, this romanticized, idealized fantasy kind of view of life and love in their head. And then when life and love doesn't match it, they're upset. They're in drama. They're in a kind of suffering and they pour that out on people and things around them, blaming them for not living up to their idealized version, expecting them to. So you put pressure on relationships, you put pressure on life to match this idealized thing that you've got going. You follow me? So what does the type four have to work on? Well, they have to they have to work on noticing what's not missing. Gratitude practices are very important for type fours because that makes you think about what are you grateful for that you do have because your focus of attention is on what's missing. You can always find something that's missing. I'm sure Elon Musk can point the things that are missing. You follow me? So when your attention is there, you're always going to be in melancholy and sadness and you're always going to be expecting people places and conditions and circumstances to be fulfilling your needs and you know filling the void of what's missing and then you're going to be constantly frustrated with that so your ability to notice what's here who you are what you do have what's not missing and then doing the work on letting go of this this idealized view of life and moving in the areas of contentment and equanimity with what is. You see, type 4s are very dissatisfied with what is because this is not the way I view it in my head. See, in my head, I have this fantasy version. So, the reality right in front of me is lacking. It's missing. So, the type 4 needs to, to learn about equanimity. It needs to learn about the acceptance and the trust of life as it is now and sort of let go of the fantasy version that you have. It's like you live in a Disney movie and it's just this fantasy thing. You know, I'm, I'm what, what was it? Uh, who, who was the, uh, the Disney character that was sort of dead until the Prince Charming came and kissed her and woke her up to life, right? Just like you got to let go of, of the Disney worldview, and, and, and not to become cynical, not to, not to give up on the beauty that life can be, but to fall more in love with what is here now than what you imagine that it should be, is to see what's real, to see the person that you're with, the beauty and perfection that they are. Yeah, they will never going to live up to what you think they should be, but you're letting go of that as nonsense. Just mind-created fantasy. So type fours need to become lovers of reality, lovers of what's here, and sort of letting go of of what happens in their minds with all the fantasy versions of what life is supposed to be and how people can fill the void in me and fix what's been lacking and And all the drama that happens when that doesn't turn out to be true. So does that make sense? Okay. So that's the helper, the achiever, and the individualist. Those are the shame types. They each have little different ways of dealing with that feeling that I'm really not good enough. Something's wrong with me. I do it by trying to be helpful. Oh, I, I try to do it by being an achiever. Oh, I try to do it by being special and have this romantic worldview and, and all that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Okay. So next time when we come back, we'll wrap up the final three uh, Enneagram types, which are fear types. Their underlying motivation, the energy that creates their personality type is a, is a fear. But each of them, that fear comes out in some different ways. It, it pushes them in different directions. And so we will talk about the type five, which sometimes I call the investigator. Most people call it the observer. Sometimes it's the scientist. But we'll probably use the term observer, even though I didn't say that word in the um, podcast number 66 that laid the, the foundation for this series. But the five is the observer. The six is the loyalist or the loyal skeptic. The seven is the adventurer or the epicurist. Um, and we'll do that next time on the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. So until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.